cash event. We're giving the ultimate gift. Employee pricing for all. Woman is... Hey everyone, Chloe here and welcome back to my channel. And if you are new here, welcome. So by request, many of you wanted me to share my opinion and commentary on Atlanta housewife and super beauty, uh, Portia Williams, and whether or not she should give her engagement ring back to her fiance, Dennis the Scrub McKinley. And for those of you who don't know, Portia Williams, who is currently 38 years old, met a petty dusty by the name of Dennis, and she got pregnant quickly and became engaged and secured the storyline and the baby. Now, Dennis and Portia, after a very short and brief courtship, did what I call the optics dance. And the optics dance is what women do to save face. And me personally, I think rushed engagements are there to serve the purpose of optics, which is to manage the projected shame and the wagging finger judgment of others so that a woman can enjoy her pregnancy in peace without the incessant uh, negative judgment of labels and petty women and petty men who delight themselves in clowning pregnant women for not being married. And when I say storyline secured, it means securing a storyline that will keep the drama going. This is what makes for good reality TV and high paying uh, reality TV checks. And selling drama and mess is a lucrative uh, money making business model that isn't going anywhere anytime soon. Uh, reality TV is about keeping women glued to the screen by keeping the drama going. And what can I say? Uh, women like to be entertained and women love gossip and women love tea and women love drama. Now, I first want to address the issue of Portia's beauty, which a lot of people confuse and conflate for self-esteem and worth. Now, Portia is obviously a physically stunning woman. She has a gorgeous and viable uh, hourglass figure that most women would kill for. She has a dazzling smile and she has an exceptionally uh, beautiful face. And so many women are scratching their heads and wondering, why is this exceptionally beautiful woman getting caught up with low value men? And to that I say, just because a woman is visibly attractive does not mean that her esteem is high. And just because a woman is beautiful, uh, it doesn't mean that she can have any man that she wants. Uh, that is a myth. And just because a woman is beautiful does not automatically mean that she is feminine or hypergamous or is skilled at attracting high-value men. Hypergamy is about having a feminine look but it is also about having a mindset that filters out low-value men. So just because an exceptionally beautiful woman like Portia is stunning uh, does not mean that she understands men. And just because a woman has a banging body and gets a lot of attention from men does not mean that she sees herself as high-value or that she sees herself as the prize. Now, as for this engagement ring mess, if a woman is asked by her four by her former fiance to give a ring back. My answer on whether she should give it back or not depends on the type of person that you were engaged to. Now, I know that many of you who are listening and ear hustling are very thirsty for one size fit all answers and responses, but it really truly does depend on the man and it depends on the situation. And in my personal opinion, if a man asks for a ring back, he more than likely couldn't afford the ring in the first place. So if the engagement is off, is called off, a broke man and a man whose inclination to be petty would be to humiliate or to devalue you. And his, in, 
his inclination uh, to display bitterness and pettiness will be much higher than your average. Uh, make no mistake, taking a ring back is petty and childish and is purely a dusty move and a cornball move. In most cases, I don't think a woman should give an engagement ring back. I think a woman should cough, cough, lose the ring and or cough, cough, make the ring vanish. Or I think a woman should consider the ring as hers and that a woman should do whatever she pleases with her gift because an engagement ring, in my opinion, is an unreturnable gift. Now, if a man wants to take it there and sue and or get lawyers to get his ring back, then that woman will know for sure that not only was her relationship not based on real love, but also that her ex-fiance never saw her as the prize. Now, there are cases where men are toxic and narcissistic and will kill you in situations that demand being high-level petty. So, if a man is a proven lunatic or a proven tick, tick, boom, I would give the ring back with the quickness. I would change my number, delete or block him on all of my social media, call the police, get a restraining order, get some therapy, and never look back in that order. Now, being cheated on while pregnant is humiliating. But Portia, like so many women who are over 35, who aren't married, and yes, I am going there, a judge or jury be damned, they have some decisions to make, right? And a lot of women... Mm -hmm in their drive and their desire to become mothers, and this is not talked about often amongst women, but a lot of women in their desire to fulfill their biological clock that after 35 is now a five alarm fire will pretty much make a rasted decision and a poor choice to have a baby by pretty much anyone. And I know that a lot of women talk about not bringing babies into a cursed situation. And a lot of women talk about marriage before the carriage. And a lot of women are harsh and severe uh, in their criticism and their judgment for women who uh, become mothers without being married. But when it comes to facing that biological clock, that biological clock is no joke. And yes, there are plenty of women who scream at the mountaintops and are the loudest people in the room about not wanting to have kids. But the women who don't want children are truly outnumbered by the women who want children. Uh, and childless by choice women are outnumbered by the women who want to become mothers by any means necessary. And this is why so many women over 35 jump ship and do whatever it takes to make it happen, single mother statistic be damned. Because the thought of not being a mother is a silent and painful epidemic that many women particularly career women are struggling with. And yes, there are many women who have babies at 35, and 37 and even 41 and 43 but it is a huge myth that a woman can have a baby whenever she wants and this is not fear-mongering these are the facts just google it and for women who want to become mothers in their 40s uh, the struggle to conceive naturally is real and a lot of women are fooled and duped into thinking that they can't have that they can have babies at 40 and over because celebrity women are doing it with ease those women, uh, those women, those celebrity women have access to expensive and costly uh, fertility doctors and those celebrity women are paying a steep price to become late stage mothers. And yes, women can adopt and yes, women can hire a surrogate, but surrogates and adoption cost coins. So the single mother trend and the single mother statistic isn't going anywhere, 
no time soon. And that is why the 15-year period, right, between 20 and 35 is so critical for a woman to fully comprehend and for a woman to fully uh, understand. So that's all I have to say on this for now. The storyline is secured for Portia and the Atlanta Housewives franchise. Portia got her baby, and Dennis is a weasel and a scoundrel and a real low-value clown and a dirtbag. And from what I understand, Portia and Dennis have reconciled, and they are trying to make the family model work. But if a man is old enough and low enough to cheat on you while you're pregnant, only to turn around to insult you and ask you for his engagement ring uh, back, then that is just a preview of the nightmare of his low character, and there will be more of his sewer behavior and his garbage antics to come. So stay tuned for more storyline-secured videos to come, and I will catch up with you guys in the next one. Porsche interview. Space for herself. Hey everyone, Chloe here, and welcome back to my channel. And if you're new here, welcome. So today's video will be highly triggering, and many of you who are tuning in may get upset and may get offended, and that is okay because surprise, surprise, I am not a follower of marching in movements or stomping the yard or feminist dogma, but today I wanted to have an important conversation on the often unspoken narrative, and that is the uh, negative consequences of having a feminist mindset. And I've been wanting to talk about the dark side of what I call bait-and-switch feminism ever since I started this channel, because I think it's an often... I think it's an often overlooked, neglected, and undervalued conversation with women, particularly black women who are groomed and indoctrinated to be manless and are groomed to not value relationships with quality men. And bait-and-switch feminism, or the bait-and-switch sunken place, is an important concept for my viewers and my listeners to grasp and comprehend, because so many of my listeners are women who are uh, brand-spanking new at learning about hyper and are green at applying femininity to their lives as a form of self-improvement. And many of my listeners and the thousands of women who have contacted me, who have emailed me, are quite inexperienced at understanding men and are inexperienced at understanding what motivates men and are inexperienced on understanding how to attract and how to be effective and persuasive to quality men who have a provider and protector mindset. A lot of women lack feminine confidence and they don't understand um, the mechanics of getting a man to invest in them or the mechanics of seduction or sex appeal or mystery or allure that help to create, build, and sustain chemistry with men. And they don't understand the dynamics of being the prize and treating themselves as the prize. And feminist dogma plays such a huge part in the shaming of women out of beneficial exchanges with quality men. And feminist dogma is the reason why so many women are not even aware of the transformative power of hypergamy and femininity. Now, this video is not an attack on feminism. Of course, feminism is a necessary response for the human rights of women. Of course, women deserve respect. Of course, women deserve equal pay. Of course, women are capable and intelligent and dynamic and powerful and smart and brilliant. And of course, women deserve to be 
uh, do not deserve to be raped, uh, mutilated, humiliated, drugged, sexually harassed, or sexually abused. But I also believe that there is a reality and a perspective that is often missing in conversations with feminist dogma. And that missing piece is what often leads to what I call bait-and-switch feminism. Now, by definition, bait-and-switch feminism is the idea that toxic feminism and openly uh, defiant sexual liberation can often come at the expense of what women are truly wired to desire, which is a family, uh, being a wife, having a loving partner, uh, feeling complete. Yes, I said feeling complete, having a successful man who provides for you and your children, and women having uh, uh, fulfilling uh, and loving partnerships with men that they respect and admire. Now, do all women want these things? Absolutely not, but most women do. And in feminism, uh, particularly with black women, there is no conversational space, there is no guidebook, there is no plan, there is no exit, uh, exit strategy, and a lot of women get left in the lurch because there is no end game in feminism that explains to women the consequences of opting into a thought process, a mindset, and a movement that can often lead women towards a path of anxiety, isolation, loneliness, childlessness, alcoholism, depression, and the cliche of having a lot of house cats. And bait-and-switch feminism is about the neglected um, consequences that come with feminist groupthink and following the herd. And this is why I wanted, uh, this is exactly why I wanted to start my channel, because too many women work against themselves. They sabotage them. They sabotage themselves and then wonder why they are struggling in love and dating and marriage and they are wondering why they can't even get someone to take them out to dinner because feminism does not offer women a plan on how to sustain um, on how to sustain happiness and fulfillment and because feminist dogma lacks an exit strategy, uh, a lot of self-proclaimed feminists are often blindsided by the results and the consequences that come with being taught that men are the enemy. And those consequences are normally felt at or around the magical age of, surprise, surprise, 35. Um, 35 is the age when the shift uh, starts to happen with all women because no, what, uh, what no one tells you is that... Um, is that who you are at 18 will be different at 25 and different at 35 and different at 45 and different at 55 and different at 70. But 35 is usually the age when a woman's priorities begin to shift. And 35 is the age where a woman usually wants to settle down. And this is the age when a woman starts to crave the yin and yang complementary balance that comes from being in a relationship. And another a dark reality that I wanted to address that women don't like to speak on or talk about is that around 35, women become tired of the rat race. Women usually uh, resent having to work around this age. Women usually want to be at home with their children. That is if, that is if they even have children because a lot of women, uh, a lot of independent women often delay having children uh, until the last minute. After 35, women hate commuting to work and start to resent 
the dynamics and the red tape of office politics. 35 is usually when a woman starts to lose the passion and her stomach uh, for the grinding and the hustling that often comes with being at the forefront of business. And at 35, um, that is the age and the stage where women start to become burnouts because working a job to pay the bills requires a lot of masculine effort and a lot of masculine energy and exuding this masculine energy leaves very little room for femininity to flourish and the burnout um, also comes from women who are doing it all on their own without help a particularly black women who are notorious for doing it all um and doing it all makes you exhausted, and many black women are exhausted. And 35 is usually the age when women start to begin to look for uh, true fulfillment and happiness to escape the emptiness and the loneliness that often comes with not having someone to care. And this happens a lot with career women who have no one to share their success with, and then career women tend to get a serious case of the baby rabies. They want a child and they get desperate because the pickings are slim and the next thing you know, you're marrying and having babies by a dusty felon and inmate 497134. And millions of women have gotten pulled into this uh, dead-end toxicity of angry uh, feminist rhetoric and so many women particularly black women get caught up in the dogma of independent woman uh, syndrome you know that they can you know they get so caught up in this syndrome that they can only see the trees and not the forest and they literally sabotage themselves from getting what they truly want out of life because a lot of women get so caught up in their in their negative feelings towards men and their hatred of men, and they allow that rage to block them from having a plan for their lives. And in life, ladies, in general, it is very important to have a plan. But as women, we can be very emotional creatures, and we can lose sight of our direction and what we truly want when we don't have a plan. And we often end up following and watching others who are living their lives that we want a taste of, but those people are not going to empower you or teach you game or show you how they got what they wanted out of life. They just want you to watch the throne. And that is why women need to have a hypergamous plan for their lives, which is why you need to subscribe to this channel, because so many women follow ideologies that often lead them into a lonely ditch of despair. And black women need to put their thinking caps on and they need to learn how to use hypergamy and femininity to their advantage. And the overwhelming response to this channel, as I speak, almost 30,000 Almost 30,000 of you have subscribed in the last six weeks, and it only proves what I've long believed, that women at the end of the day, particularly black women, what they want over everything is a great relationship, they want a family of their own, they want stability and security and a partner that they can respect and admire, women want love, and they want someone to care, and if we're really going to be honest here, a lot of women who are thought leaders in feminist dogma often end up having 
the very things that they themselves encourage black women to not have for themselves. Black women are often the primary victims of bait-and-switch feminism because as a narrative, black women are encouraged to be manless and overly self-reliant. Black women are encouraged to be surrogate men, and they are encouraged to have a testosterone battery in their backs. And black women are encouraged to toss their femininity to the side and are conditioned to carry everyone on their backs and to be as feminine as a pair of work boots. Uh, black women are blueprinted and indoctrinated to, uh, to be perpetually single. And that, my dear listeners, is the finesse of bait and switch. A lot of black women follow behind women and take their social cues from women who have everything while the black woman has nothing but her college degree and an empty bed. Uh, women, particularly black women, are taught to have a bachelor's degrees and master's degrees and PhDs and to make their own money and to have careers and to pick up the slack of the men and to be Mrs. Independent and to not ever rely on anyone. But somehow, magically, the conversations on marriage, femininity, hypergamy, uh, babies, fertility, and finding a man who's a provider and a protector and learning how to uh, protect your marriage, if you have one, and how to treat your marriage as sacred, somehow those conversations get lost in translation. And those are the conversations that women need to have the most at this all life. There is such a um, a glaring disconnection with black women and femininity, and no one is specifically addressing it because black women are expected, it is, it is a part of the status quo to be mules and are expected to be at the bottom of the totem pole when it comes to being uh, feminine women. And that is the heart of the bait and switch because black women are literally the last women in the room to know. Black women are the last women in the room to apply femininity and hypergamy to themselves to get what they want out of men. Now, for those of you uh, who are living under a rock, Amber Rose is a former stripper, uh, uh, video vixen turned video model, and has built her entire career and her notoriety off of the backs of successful black men and her hyper and her hypersexual uh, image. Amber is the former ex of nutty buddy Kanye West, uh, the ex-wife of rapper Wiz Khalifa, and hip-hop rapper, producer, and Englishman uh, 21 Savage. And Amber is a Jane of all trades, uh, urban media personality. And for a woman who was found on a stripper pole, she has done very well for herself in terms of using strategic branding to make line and are lying and are lining herself with feminism and the power of the P-U-S-S-Y and meow politics to keep her name and her brand relevant. Now, for those of you who don't know, Amber Rose is also the founder of the L.A.-based Slut Walk, a movement created to honor women who have been judged and demeaned for their sexual behavior. With Amber Rose, uh, hashtag S-L-U-T politics uh, became a very crafty way uh, for her to grant herself and to create opportunity. But speaking of shifts, 35-year-old uh, Amber Rose uh, recently announced her decision to pull the plug on her annual slut walk to focus on becoming 
um, a mom for the second time and her loving relationship with Def Jam record label executive Alexander Edwards and their expecting child. Now, the reasons why Amber is canceling her annual slut walk, in her words, um, are to preserve her peace and her sanity in response to um, the frenemies, um, toxic energy, and the people that often come into our lives who don't mean us well. And every woman deserves to create that space for herself where her peace is protected. And Amber is going through what I call... Um, the shift, you know, this is what all women go through. Uh, the shift is where the things uh, that a woman thought were important are no longer important, like fake friends and fake movements and friends who are in competition with you and people who hate on you. And all women go through this shift of having to uh, cancel uh, petty, jealous, and envious friends. And all women at or around 30 start to make the shift in their lives to figure out how they're going to receive the three very important ingredients in life um, called uh, stability, security, and love. And this shift is something that bait-and-switch feminism never prepares you for. So to my viewers who are listening, be aware of the bait-and-switch. Uh, pay attention to movements that finesse you out of foreseeing your own future, you know, and planning for your own future and making plans for your life. And pay attention to movements that set up, uh, that set you up to lose. Pay attention to women who are telling you one thing, but are out here building their lives and having children and becoming mothers and getting fulfillment and building their success not on their own, but from the coattails of accomplished men. Uh, be wary of women who sell you a narrative that not needing a man for anything, while at the same time undermining you so that they can play your so that you can play your manless position at the bottom. Be wary of the women who want you to have a hot girl summer, a pregnant girl winter, and a single mother spring. That is not hypergamy or femininity. That is called not having a plan. So that's all I have to say on this for now. Be very careful. Be very cognizant of who you follow, ladies, because the people that we often end up following often do not know where to take it. And they will empower you right into a lifeless dead end ditch so stay tuned for more videos to come and i will catch up with you in the next one
to do is come back to the hood, but you always come back to the hood. So back in the days and now. This is the essence. This is the essence. You can't forget this. People get it confused. You got to remember where you came from. I remember where I came from. Yeah, I remember you used to come through with Black Justice and the two-door Tahoe and all that bad IZ. May he rest in peace, my man Black Justice. Black, we love you, baby. You know what I mean? So I was a young cat. You know what I'm saying? 
what I'm saying? And, you know, I've been doing it a long time, and I grew up doing it. That's it, man. You know what I mean? And I'm having fun doing it. And just, I always dream big, think big, try to do big things. Because there's definitely dudes that have been in the game as long as you didn't come stay on this block, and these kids won't know what it is. But um, you out here, they still taking pictures at 10 years old, 9 years old, 8 years old. Yeah. I know that got to feel good to still be relevant in I mean, this game a, right it's, now. It's a blessing, man, and I feel good about it. And, um... I remember where I came from, and I don't. I'm never afraid to remember where I came from. You know what I'm saying? That's right, you know, baby. Let, let us know. always shout out in every song early back in the days. Farmers Boulevard. Let Farmers let Boulevard. Let That's us, right. Let them know where you at right now. That's uh, right, baby. We are Farmers Boulevard. I'm on Farmers Boulevard. That's right. It's real. I'm out here. We out here, B. You know what I'm saying? I'm home, sweet home. Right. I was born and raised. At least raised for sure. That's right. And it's a beautiful thing. Rocking like however it went, it went. However the day ended, it ended. 
I would just tell myself to relax and listen, you know, uh, and focus more than anything. Focus on something. I don't know what I would tell myself to focus on at that age because I wasn't in the rap as far as me being a rapper. Mm-hmm. I would say focus up on something because, you know, the world don't stop. Time, when you, time keep moving. When you say 16 or 20 and not really listening, is it easier for you to write somebody a pass now because you kind of figure, nah, that's what they're going through right now? Yeah, 100%. Yeah. I got, you got to remember, I got I got mad little homies, like, I got a lot of them, like, that I love, they love me, they ask me just, you know, advice, what I'm doing, like, time to come in the studio, they just kick it with me, like, and, um, yeah, they, and they, they wilder than me, they wilder than I was, like, you know what I'm saying, like, they, 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 the, the, the youth now is, is fried, a lot of them, you know what I mean, and yeah. I understand that in certain areas, the youth is fried, so, I feel like that's why I stay in contact with them because they looking at me as somebody that's lit or somebody that's, you know, in the mix or in the industry or whatever. So me being able to come back, deal with them, have them in the studio with me, talk with them, FaceTime them, kick it with them, I didn't have that. I didn't have no famous person or no rapper or no NBA player that I could be talking to when I wanted to, when I had my gun on, when I wanted to go do right. whatever I wanted to go do. I didn't have nobody I could call and be like, Yo, I'm mad. What you think about? Nobody could calm me down. You know? with, with really, really, really being on, you know what I'm saying? Just, how do you feel about those when you when they not really on? When 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 you looked at Takashi Six Nine, you knew mm-hmm. that he wasn't really on from day one. But I met him before all of that. How really? was that? What was what was? He was with my man. Um, he was with one of my homies. Uh, my man just came home. He was in the studio. He didn't have no tattoos. He didn't have no colorful hair. He had a regular haircut. Mm. He sat in the corner. He's a cameraman. He used to do videos. Takashi was a cameraman. Mm-hmm. That's a fact. Um, and he just sat in the corner. He didn't say nothing. He said, what's up? And he smoked, drink. Like, you know what I mean? Real L7, if, if, yeah, if yeah, you want to ask yeah, me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Square like for real. And uh, the next time I seen him, he was, he was he was the biggest blood I've ever seen on earth. Did you know that that was the same guy no, or somebody? Yeah, I didn't know. I got put somebody put me on. Like you know, that's that's boy. Like I'm like was that the, the cameraman? Like, like what? That's boy. You know what I mean? And then I, I I knew a lot of the people in the video with him that was actually real right. Mm. You know what I'm saying? They official. You know what I mean? So that's what threw me off. I'm like, why are they with him? If they, I know how they give it up. Like it's the money, man. Money is money is crazy. I'm saying and money and, and, and just fame. Yeah, man. Make make people do things they wouldn't normally do. Did you oh, know it was going to end up like it was going to end up somehow? If it, if it ever went bad, he was telling for sure. Mm-hmm. He ain't from that. Yeah. You know, he, and he, he didn't sign up for that. That's what you got to understand. If it's somebody that come from it and, and know the rule, like, like I always explain this to people like we from the hood call people snitches. That's it. Mm-hmm. Nowhere else do they care. Right, 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 right. Mm-hmm. They don't care. Nowhere else. You go tell on everybody you want. Mm-hmm. Come out, go do a movie about it. Like, nobody, but the hood is, we we created that. Oh, you snitch. Snitches get stitches. Rats. Like, we created that. So, if you ain't from that life, if you ain't signed up for that life, how you going to put that, how you how you going to feel like he going to hold that down? Or he going, mm-hmm. nah, I ain't going to say nothing. Nah, I ain't come from that. When he cuts out, what do you think is going to happen? I don't care what happens. <laughs> <laughs> you know? yeah, I got an album. I don't, I don't <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Survival. You know what I mean? But, yeah, survival is out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> do you think how they say that people are still do either shows or, like, he can come home to a deal? You he definitely think? can. That's crazy. He never got to do a like show. Like I yet. said, the industry isn't run by street people. 
the people that's booking you isn't is is not street. These ain't street dudes. These is like people with money. They don't care what he did. As long as he can sell out that venue and make them money, come on. That's crazy. They gonna book him. You know what I mean? But the streets ain't gonna never feel that. Like he, yeah. his his past to whatever he had as far as street goes is gone. Like he ain't gonna get that back. Easy. Come but on. he can still come home and go get money. He go overseas and be the biggest star. Ever. Hey Google. Richard Jewell was a hero. I wanted to tell this story so the world would know the truth. Richard Jewell rated a... Come on. Come gather around people wherever you run. Hey everyone, Chloe here and welcome back to another video. So now that the dust behind this story has settled a bit, I wanted to touch on some things that some other YouTubers haven't touched on. So let's get into what's really behind this triggering controversial issue. So this high school principal, Miss Carlotta Outley Brown, a black woman, decided to implement a dress code for parents. Now from what I understand, the James Madison School is a currently failing low-performing high school in Houston. So Ms. Brown made it her goal to bring the school up to standard. And a part of meeting her goal is implementing cleanup culture. And so Ms. Brown decided to create a dress code for parents. So uh, that was a controversy, you know. That means uh, no bonnets, no sagging, no pajamas, no panty lines, no tight just, you know, dresses, no hair rollers, no leggings, and otherwise inappropriate and distracting clothing. Uh, and this was uh, for parents. Now, some people are using big old college words and calling this principal's move elitist, uh, discriminatory. I've heard racist. Uh, the term respectability politics is being thrown around a lot. But let's get behind the smoke and call it what it is. Because I'm all about self-improvement and level up energy. And I will never have a problem saying what needs to be said. So I know a lot of people are going to be triggered listening to this, and they're not going to like what I have to say. But the only people who would be offended by setting a standard or code of conduct for impressionable children are people who are committed to being ratchet, ghetto, and ignorant. These are the people who are notorious for working against their best interests. First off, no woman should be defending her right to look a hot mess around her kids. Kids mirror everything, and that's including your presentation. So if you look sloppy, your kids are going to look sloppy. But let's get real honest. There are some people who see dropping, uh, dropping their kids off at school as a babysitting service, as a way to get away from their kids. I used to be a public school teacher. I taught first grade. And a lot of these parents don't see education as an investment or as something that's shaping the minds of their children. They see schools as a reprieve from their kids uh, and a temporary dumping ground, you know, where they don't have to deal with the demands of parenting. And a lot of these public schools are filled with these ratchet parents and their ratchet kids. And those kids are usually the most disruptive uh, as their needs are not being met at home, which is why charter schools, side note, are so appealing to parents who don't have the resources to send their kids to private school. And the people 
who do have the resources don't want their kids going to school with parents who wear bonnets. Uh, in my personal opinion, the principal's move was about the kids and raising the standards of the school, which raises the standards of the environment, which raises, which raises the standards of the school community, a community where your child spends six to ten hours a day. So this principal's move was not about an attack on parents. Her move was about leadership. So why would you look a mess on purpose? Why look raggedy on purpose? Why defend looking your worst? Uh, no one's saying that you have to be dressed like Miss America or that you have to wear a tuxedo to drop off your kids, but why would you be against self-improvement? Now, I understand that many single or unsupported moms are already overworked and overwhelmed, and a lot of, a lot of these uh, struggling moms, they tend to let themselves go. So they tend to perceive criticism or being instructed on how to properly present themselves as an attack. But let's talk about the real elephant in the room. And that issue is class. Because I noticed that with a lot of triggering topics, especially on YouTube, we don't like to talk about class. Acknowledging that class exists makes people uncomfortable, makes black people uncomfortable. Talking about money makes people uncomfortable. And when you talk to people about self-improvement and leveling up, some of those people, some people, not all, get offended. You know, they take criticism to heart. And those who resist tend to double down on their, you know, on their defiance. So with class, what's, you know, what happens is we end up kind of playing this uh, game of don't ask, don't tell, you know, where we live in this open bubble of delusion, especially as it pertains to poverty and having a poverty mindset. But to be clear, let me make this distinction, and this is a very important distinction. Being poor isn't the same as having a poverty mindset. Being poor is not the same as having a poverty mind. A poverty mindset is a defeated mindset. That means you can be poor and still have a progressive mind. That means uh, a progressive mind means that you will do what it takes to change your situation, to grow your situation, to build from your situation. Uh, that it means, it means that you want better for your children. But a poverty mindset will always defend the right to be wrong and strong. A poverty mindset will always choose victim mode over progress. The poverty mindset would rather defend dysfunction than to improve their situation or change it. The poverty mindset defends cliche behavior. You know, with a poverty mindset comes a lot of the do as I say, not as I do ignorance, you know. And unfortunately, a poverty mindset is committed to being stuck and stagnant because it's familiar and comfortable to be stuck and stagnant. So in my hypergamous mind, being progressive and wanting better for your kids starts with you. It starts with parents. It starts with the example that you set for your kids because kids mirror what they see. And if your kids see you being committed to being better, they'll have no choice but to follow. So with this parental dress code issue, why defend your right to look a mess when your kids are the ones who will benefit the most? Why defend your right to look toe up? What is wrong with having pride in your appearance? And I'm sorry, I need to say this, but unfortunately, it's the women who've completely let themselves go. You know, the pick-me chicks, the barber, the builders, the birds, the hood rats that think that looks and appearance don't matter. They're the ones walking around looking a hot mess, wondering why they attract 
dusty, low-level men. So let me tell you something. Anyone who encourages you to not care about your appearance or tells you that looks don't matter or that uh, it doesn't matter what you look like when you step outside your door is not a friend. Appearance and the way you carry yourself and the way you represent your family says a lot about you, whether you're a family of one, a family of two, a single parent, a dog, a fish, I don't care. Whether you want to accept it or not, appearance matters, looks matter, and they always will. Now, you are free to dress however you want, but you aren't free from the consequences. So when you're judged for your appearance or you miss out on opportunities, financial opportunities, or no man of means wants to take you out, no man of means wants to impress you, take you out on a date, uh, no man of means wants to step in and be a stepdaddy to your kid, then you'll know why, because you look toe up. So parents, good parents, stop embarrassing your kids. Your kids didn't ask to be here, so do better for them. Have some respect and pride for yourself and stop passing on generational ignorance. Uh, let it end with you because it's not okay to dress like you don't care about yourself. And anyone who would encourage you to look any old kind of way, especially as a woman, is not your friend and definitely should not be anywhere in your circle of influence. When you look good, you win. When you look good, doors that were once closed open for you. And we need to teach this to our kids. So that's all I have to say on this. I'm not defending the indefensible when it comes to ignorance and people encouraging you to stay stuck in the mud or to sell yourself short and people who encourage you to think like a loser. You know, the main ones who are defending this are the ones whose kids are in expensive private schools and their kids wouldn't be caught dead with the kids of ratchet parents. So sound off in the comment section. You know, it's telling a parent what to wear or how to dress right or wrong. And as always, there's more level of content to come. So if you want to be a part of the tribe, please like, share, and subscribe. And I will see you in the next one.
Step on the, well, you know you ain't gonna step on it. I'm just gonna pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you with more years for our kids. Happy birthday and don't don't expect don't expect no Christmas gift from me, motherfucker. Ain't no Christmas gift. Only for the kids. Huh? We ain't got to keep doing this. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? I love you. That's what I'm saying, man. She gave me 500000 for his birthday. Chicks got them bags off this job. You know what I mean? You know what I mean? My dick gave me. I got I to put it on the line. <laughs> I put a bitch with bread. Fuck that. I'm going to keep it all the way funky with you, player. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I mean, the bedroom. I can't just be dicking bitches down. That's mediocre. I'm cool on that one, like. You know what I mean? Straight up. Shouts out to Offset and uh, Cardi. Shouts out to Nikki. Holla at me. You feel me? That was love. About us taking perks. Perks this, perks that. Quilly. Perk songs. I saw a coolie rap about us taking perks. Perks this, perks that. Philly already a dangerous place. And you want everybody to be on perks. This is another place that I got the I got the moderate the no fly zone. Philly, dangerous and high. Oh no. Dribble can't be fucking around through these parts. He said Philly just dense. Philly niggas is radical. Anyway. When I say radical, I mean Black Panther radical. Like, these niggas are naturally radical. For real. They the ones that be uh, in the prison systems in PA. They the ones that get the jails locked down. Whenever a jail get locked down, or whenever, whenever a jail get locked down, or whenever it was a, like a riot-type situation, Philly is involved. Straight up. He said, oh, violent Islam niggas. Yeah. Oh, man. They set it off and they set it off in Juma too. Philly set it off in Juma too. This is how radical it is. This is what I'm trying to tell you. Them niggas set it off in Juma too. Let me tell you about the uh, the the war I was in the middle of. A uh, uh, in, uh, internal Philly war that I had no no idea what was going on. Cause I'm I'm cool with all parties, you know. We in Juma, and you know I done did is with these niggas. I done been in jail with you know with these niggas years at a time. I don't know that. Within this Islamic community is a sect starting to rise called the Salafi. The Salafi is in the motherfucking, they starting to rise. These are some Sunni niggas, but they extra radical. Like they, they, Sunni extremists, basically. This year, Gully TV did a segment called Alpo Called Me. He said no interviews and Jack never said him. In the segment, he had mentioned Albion and the rise of the Salafi. Can you tell me your history in it? Of course. Jamel, that's my man. So, we actually came across each other by way of um, 
I don't know how we actually, uh, I actually started to follow him, but what happened was, it popped up on my YouTube, his Gully TV channel, and the live came about after subscribing to his channel, where he started to mention um, being in jail, being a person who, you know, went from different jails within the state of PA, and me personally, I'm a person who, unfortunately, from the time of 18, I was on what we call a world tour, so I went to numerous Pennsylvania state penitentiaries, um, switching almost every two years. Um, within, the, within my time, I did an estimate of over 10 years in Pennsylvania, not including outside of Pennsylvania. So, basically, I looked at his face and I said, this guy's familiar. I don't know where I'm knowing from, but I know this guy. So, he popped up on a live. I sent a couple texts at him. Like, you know, what jail was you in? What, you know, where you do most of your time at? And uh, I think I shot a couple of the jails I was at to him. And when I said I'll be on, it was like, ding, ding, ding. So I realized, okay, well, I'm knowing from I'll be on. I sent him my number and his DM from Instagram. And it was the middle of the day. I'm in the Bronx, uh, little, little close to Soundview, you know what I'm saying, out that, out that side of, um, of the Bronx. I'm at the gym working out, and I get a, a phone call, a distant phone call. I pick it up, and I, he said, yo, you the brother who started the riots. <laughs> and I'm like... <laughs> he like this is Jamil Gully TV and I said oh okay bet so I said yo you was at Albion right he was like yeah he said yo I remember you I remember when all the stuff took place and, and mashallah I was just like you know as soon as he mentioned the brother who started the riots it's like yeah I know he was there because that's that was my, actually my first week in that jail. So, <laughs> the history that he mentioned on that segment, Alpo, um, Alpo called me, he actually was mentioning my history. Now, just to be right and exact, you know what I'm saying, precise and thorough, he did make some mistakes in regards to the people and the timeline. It may have been like five or six, maybe like seven of these Salafi niggas at the time. I played basketball with a few of them, and one of them, he taught me how to play chess, or we kind of like used to play chess against each other. That history that he mentioned, I wanted to be precise, you know what I'm saying, completely thorough and right and exact when we mentioned this, because like, at the end of the day, that's the history in which it's all completely surrounding what in that particular era spread out throughout the entire prison system of Pennsylvania and beyond. Um, I'm on the motherfucking carpet. 
when you come in Juma and shit, you know what I mean, as you come through and shit, you know, everybody, you didn't already did your booty in your cell because you were, you know, waiting for them to call it. When you get there and shit, you take your shoes off and everybody's lining up to get in the ranks on the rug and shit. So, as we getting on the motherfucking rug and shit, um, I see them, the Sharif squad, that's the, the, the Sharif, that, the, Sharif means guard. These are the, the goonies in the masjid. I see the Sharifs coming and they telling this brother, yo, you got to get up off the rug. Now I knew the cat, I can't remember his name. I think his name was Shah or something like that. You got to get up off the rug. Just to pretty much break it down real quick, briefly. We was going into 20, we was going into the uh, year 2000, actually. Um, I'm just coming up from Camp Hill. It's a whole bunch of us. Um, some of the names in which everybody from out of Philly remember. Um, Jelani from out West Philly. Um, Banks from North Philly. Um, when I got up there, it was my young boy Taz. They used to run ball from out of Uptown. Um, South Philly Taz, he was up there. North Philly Taz from back Somerset, he, he was there. Disco, he was on on uh, the orientation block. Um, we, we, we came up together, Blumberg. It was pretty much, this was a jello of, you might as well say, 18-year-olds, 19-year-olds, 20-year-olds. And the thing is, that particular jail was majority. Erie, Pittsburgh, uh, all those little, all those little towns that was that's out on the west side of Pennsylvania. We was the first wave to come from Philly, because what they wanted to do was they wanted to change um, the power structure of the jails. They didn't want people from the east part of Pennsylvania being so close and getting things done while they were on the East. And they didn't want people from the West to do the same, so they started shipping people from Pittsburgh to Gratersford. And they started sending people that were supposed to go to Gratersford over to Albion. So I get over to uh, to Albion. This is sometime around February. Uh, February, March, somewhere along this time. If I check my DC-141s, I'm going to be able to tell you the exact date. Because the DC-141 is when I started getting my write-ups. And my first write-up was the inciting of a riot in that particular penitentiary. So, um, I get there, right? Um, straight from the rip, you know, we had Rock. Rock came up with me. Um, Rock was with one of the one of the sons of, of one of our famous boxers in, in Philadelphia. You know what I'm saying? Um... Some to him, he was one of the first people who uh, I had wanted to go go into the cell and, and do a little dance with. You know what I'm saying? We wanted to switch cells real quick because at the time they didn't know who was the people that was inside the jail. So they didn't know the people who were supposed to go into what cells, right? But it was all off of Joanne. Joanne was a vicious bid ball. He wanted to bid off of people and all that. And pretty much started some stuff between me and him. You know what I'm saying? But that was... That's a whole separate situation of just being young balls bitten and just seeing where everybody was at. Um, my first Sully was twin from out of 11th Street 
you know what I'm saying, the projects. Um, then after that, it was Jalan. And he, that was another bid again. And the first week, right, we're going through orientation. So orientation takes place on Friday. So we missed the first yard. We can't go to yard. Now, the way how things were set up was that, um, I believe it was that you had to you had to miss the I had to miss the first Jumu'ah because of orientation. Um, by that time period, I got a chance to go through the yards. You know what I'm saying on, on the J block, I block, um, H block, A, B, and C side of Albion Penitentiary, right? So it's broken down into halves. The other side is um, F, G, E, and I think it's the honor block over there somewhere. But the honor block is where most of the mafia balls and all that get a chance to hang out and chill and you know do that stuff that they show on the prank on the West, on the wise guys, good fella type shows and movies. But anyway, I come into the jails of the first week. Now. I'm already coming into the jail trying to fill out what's the temperature. First thing first, I need to know who's all the seller for you within that jail. Roll call, I need to know who's our mayor of the jail. Who's the who's the person who's is is it a structure set up? Do we have block lock kills set in the place? Come to find out, it was one of my hockeys from. 66 that he was the most knowledgeable he was the most knowledgeable the reason why is because this brother was i would say he had a photographic memory you know what i'm saying my name my man sean Petaway, aka shiz love my man shot here right now he's doing his time but another brother came from the streets and did some time there, but he got kicked out before I got there named Askir. So Askir was the one who gave him Minhaj, that gave him the methodology, that let him know this is the Salafi Dawah. This is what we're supposed to be on. A lot of the other brothers that was up there actually got their knowledge, starting from Shahir. But once I got there, I was the only brother that actually came from Germantown that was actually able to give the knowledge I experienced and was a part of firsthand, which is when, at that time period, Germantown was considered, quote-unquote, taken over by the Salafis and became Asunatanabawiyah, right? Now, that's the streets. Now, we come into jail with the same mentality, which is, if you're not upon this dollar, hang on, hang on, hang on. you have to step down. The position of being uh, leadership within the community is not avoid. I mean, this is how we considered it and how we looked at it at that particular time, uh, moment in time. So, as soon as I get in, as soon as I come into this jail, I'm getting a roll call. First people who I recognize, Shahir, one. Um, a brother that was on the other side that was holding it down for the other side for the F block side um, Mahi Kareem um, Little Latif uh, they, was on the, they was on the other side 
Maki Kossum, he was on the other side. Um, then we had Tahlil, we had Shu'aib, we had Hassan, Basir, Aileen, um, we had uh, Lil Mujahid, we had, um, I mean, I can, there's a whole bunch of brothers that I can mention over, over at least 27, 28, or 29 brothers that was Salafi in that jail at that moment in time, right? All of us was from Philly, though. And the reason why is because, one, at that particular time period, the Huda newspapers, the Juma'ah newspapers and magazines, the um, the introduction to the Salafi Dawah was mostly coming from out of New York, coming from out of Newark, East Orange, and Philly. These were like the, the basis of where we were receiving our knowledge from because this is where the students of knowledge returned back to, to the country and was given their dawah to the masters. So me being from Philly and being part of, you know, that wave, it was like once I stepped into the jail and I had already established a jama'ah, a community before in the county. Then I was, it was like all I could do was follow protocol. So we got everybody into line. Um, the sheikh that we had at that time period, uh, Vince Becton, um, uh, Salim Moon, these, all of these brothers were brothers who majority of us was doing life 20 years, 15 years, all crazy numbers. Now, again, most of us was young, so we were wild. Majority was from Philly, so, you know, most of the things that we were involved in, it was about, it was, a, it, we ain't had no problem with catching no, catching wreck or anything. We were wreck catchers. Now, being Muslim, every, every time we would come out, we would, we would come out together link up with each other. The geographic situation would be there because we know who we knew from the streets. The next Jumu'ah, we were, I was allowed to go out into the yard. Right? Now, this is this is why I mentioned all that so we can understand the history and the power structure of what we were bringing to the jail at that time period. Right? The next Jumu'ah, or uh, I should say, before the next Jumu'ah, I was allowed to go into the yard. As soon as I go out into the yard, for the first yard, first the, the first yard out, one of the beefs that was going on was a situation between uh, North Philly and South Philly based off of an individual named Tupac who had got killed and some of his, the people who was charged for his murder was sent up there. Um, now, some people was able to play it you know, play the situation down low, you know what I'm saying, if they wanted to get back at them, or if they ain't want to, you know, if they wanted to, to rock on them then or later, but as soon as I step in, it go down, North Philly versus South Philly, first yard out, so, the temperature's set, if I'm, all, if I already recognize, like, I'm standing on the basketball court, and 
somebody, put, you know, somebody pull their bang out. And I mean, at that time period, my situation wasn't the fiberglass joints that they had, but I had certain. But the person standing next to me took off running, and they got it in, in the middle of the field. But I ain't had nothing to do. That was they. That was they business at the time period, and it went down the way how it went down. Um, some people say it was based off of coming at each other in the kitchen, based off of the kitchen, and you know what I'm saying that's how it really transpired. Well, who I am? All I know is. I already know I can't. I ain't. I'm not slacking. I'm not gonna be in this jail first, the first weekend, and it's already saying this is where it go down at, and I'm gonna sit there act like it's sweet in here. Nah. So the first Jumu'ah that I was allowed to go to because after orientation set up, we can do whatever we want to do inside the jail. So I go to Jumu'ah and. Part of the sunnah is that when you walk into a place, you give your test name to the building. You give the test name to the messenger. You give your test name to the people. Those who enter, give the test name to those who are there. The young, give the test name to those who are old. And I kept the sunnah. I did as I was raised to. I walked in. Assalamu alaikum wa And walked in. Then I stepped to the side. And I didn't go to the carpet. I kept my boots on because part of the sunnah is also offers a lot inside your shoes, sandals, boots. That's sunnah. You don't have to take off your shoes. Um, so straight from the rip, the so-called Sharif staff, right? These are the individuals who are security of the masjid, of the Jama'ah. One of them, over here, brother from West Philly. Now, he was doing life and he'd been there for a long time. But because he was there for a long time, he didn't really know the sunnah. So, he tried to pull me out of the masjid. He tapped me and asked me to come with him. So I'm like, all right. So I walk out with him, and he tried to check me on, brother, you can't, you can't, uh, man, he didn't say brother, but he said you can't make, you can't send it, uh, say salam alaikum all out loud like that. So, you know, straight from the rip, I'm like, man, look, you don't know the sun, you definitely don't know where I come from when it comes down to the sun, so uh, I hear you, but best believe that the sun is going to go forth. So, you might as well say me being a 19-year-old with the mentality that I had at that time period. After him telling me that, and after him telling me that I can't be on the masala with uh, my shoes on, I walk in again. Assalamualaikum <laughs> I walk onto the masala. And again, I respected the carpet because the carpet is the carpet. Now, I'm not going to step on the carpet where people put their face on with what I was walking outdoors with, even though I'm able to according to the cinema. But I understand why people have that type of thought pattern. So as long as I don't transgress that, I don't trans 
transgress the fahim, the understanding of what the jama'ah is trying to do. So I walk in, I stay to the side again. Now he's flaming. And so I see him talking to the other Sharifs. And one of them was uh, Jiz from uh, from back 24th Street, Rahimahullah. Um, another one was, uh, there was a couple people that was in there. And so, long story short, after the end of the khutbah, and after the end of the salat, they try to rush me out of there. And by them trying to do that, automatically, I, like I said, when I first came into the jail, I already gained a rapport with everyone that was selling fees. Now, whether we had been 20 deep on one side and about seven deep or eight deep or nine deep on the other side, those numbers waver because I still I still can't remember all the names of everyone who was on the F block side. But on our side, it was about 20. And until the time up to June, that those first seven days that I was there, everyone already recognized where I came from, what I was upon, and how firm I was upon this minhaj. Anything else that goes after that is based off of geographics, which, again, is a Philly thing. You know, we come from where we come from. And people want to be like, that's my man's. We got to get up off the rug. And, um... He made a little bit of resistance, and I seen like it was like an explosion, kind of. Everybody produced their weapons all at once because this guy was sitting on the rug. He was a seller feet, and apparently, he knew a lot of the dean. Whatever it was, whatever he was trying to pull, it wasn't in, it wasn't in, in, in going in the same direction as uh, this motherfucking mass jid. But anyway, weapons was produced right on the spot. And when I say weapons was produced, this is where the Philly politics come in. We was just Muslim. We was just Muslim five minutes ago. We was just Muslim five minutes ago, right? Now, it ain't like that. South Philly is over there, that's my man, da, 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 that's my walkie, everybody is choosing, North Philly is starting to move, North, North Philly is so big, that they start breaking down in the, in the fractions, in the fractions, they was just together, all North Philly, now, nah, we North Street, we Lehigh, we Allegheny, you know what I'm saying, and everybody got, um, everybody got, they drama, like, it's blood, and this shit about to go down, right? And I'm from Erie. And I'm like, what the fuck is going on here? Yeah. I never went back to the Mass G, Jack. No, I never went back to, this is in Albion. After that, they had an overthrow. So, after it was all said and done, they tried to, you know, office a lot. They tried to escort me off of the Masala Rug <laughs> from offering us a lot, or after offering us a lot. And they tried to, when I walked outside, 
they tried to act as though um, no one else could follow me outside. So straight from the front, one of the first people that jumped up was my hockey bear, Abdullah Aleem, every avenue. You know what I'm saying? Um, I think she weighed from West Philly, 46. I think he also followed up. And at that time period, my name was Khalif, right? At that time period, the majority of people in that jail knew me as Khalif, Khan. Or, you know, my name, Khalif Abdul Haq Ibn Rainey. That's my entire name. But each jail knew me by a particular Kunya by itself. So some people might say Ibn Rainey, depending on where they was at with me. Some people may say Khalif, based off where they was at with me. Or some people say Haq, based off of where they was at with me. But there they knew me as Khan. So it was that was your mistake, Jamil, when you end up saying it started with Shahir. It didn't start with Shahir. Yet. Yet. <laughs> but the person they tried to get off of that carpet was was me. And that actually added on to when once I walked out that door and I was with the Sharifs and then everyone else stood up inside that Mosella and was like, you know what I'm saying, what you trying to do with my man? <laughs> That calls for the security within Albion to be like, no. I don't know what's going on, but this was a sign of a, a riot. And so every single thing that happened after that, they was looking towards me first. Because that was my first week at UI. That was like my second week in the jail. First week, somebody already got aired out. <laughs> and so... My time at Albion, as we already know, you know what I'm saying, was in and out the whole... Yeah, you know? In and off of uh, self-restriction, because yeah. I wasn't trying to hear nothing that nobody got from me. I got an authority complex. Nobody could tell yeah. me nothing. Yeah, it worked. But... Trying to save money. Because of that, yeah, I, mean, I spent about two years at Albion yeah. yeah. until yeah. they finally got me out. After that, we tried to do our best to put someone into place that had the proper character, that had the good quality and conduct. I then consider myself as having that because I was going to go at any given time. I was still young. Shaw was a little older, and he was a lot more, you know what I'm saying, trained, level-headed when it came down to, when it came down to, uh, to, to the circumstances. After that, they had an overthrow. They, they had an overthrow. The Shalafin niggas started getting big, right? Thaddeus University. What's popping with that? The E-Man was from Pittsburgh. He had life. And any jail, mainly... Uh, 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 the well, E-Man got life, the, the natural life, multiple life sentences. The E-Man is, he got the power of a, a thousand men in the jail, right? The nigga was named, uh, I used to play ball with him too. So King Ernest, I want to say Abdul. <laughs> What's oh. his name? The C-Moss get you on. Pittsburgh. <laughs> As I was leaving, I was about to make a roll and shit. I told, uh, I told some niggas, I said, yo, <coughs> they gonna get him up out of that. I said, they, 
Philly gonna get him up out of that mass jig. Watch. I said, watch Philly get him up out that mass jig. Yes. You hear what he said? In the comments, they like, whoa, the email was from Pittsburgh. Yeah. He had life. And uh he had came from the wall. He had came from Western, so he had he had he had he had significant amount. Dao. 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 That's his name. Dao. That's his name. Dao. Dao. That's his name. Yes. Thank you. Yeah, they overthrew him at, right after I left. Now, uh, this Dao is his name. This nigga Dao. He was in the Camp Hill riot. The Camp Hill riot happened in Pennsylvania in 1989. It's niggas that survived that shit that you might run into in population. They'd have been in jail forever, but they got their ass beat by the police. So, some convicts look at these niggas and ah, so This is organic. That's all they got is organic. No, mine are organic. Yours organic too, so it's mine. This game ain't last. It's gonna last long. Yeah, it's gonna last long. Yeah, it's gonna last long. It wasn't from the source. Not make you buy it, but that's all we got in there. I had the one with the juice bar, they make good salad. That was the reality in the history. Oh, I don't have I hate the name. Yours is Spanish. Mine Basley. And what's mm-hmm. I don't have is the Remember I got that? Shortly after that's my I got the uh, cucumber. From the jealous one. 
Every time I get home, I don't have a cucumber. Is the heart of I don't know what America. it is about that cucumber. I can never bring it home. That's all the bags, right, you nine? Yes, ma'am. But my cucumber is missing. Huh? My cucumber. I guarantee that probably fell out one of the bags. I switched from my Yukon to my Expedition. The trailer backup assist made Roach. Hey everyone, Chloe here and back with another video. So I wanted to share my thoughts on this whole Joe Budden and Sin Santana situation. Uh, this uh, supposed breakup and the comments that she made that caused her to get canceled by black women because her comments were smug. You know, they were ignorant and she was gassed. You sure you're and, you know, She's getting trashed right now on social media. Uh, and a lot of people are taking delight in her breakup and um, the ending of her relationship with Joe. Uh, and I made a video about what black women should do, should really do in response to that kind of entitled mindset. And I'll link it in the description box below. But once again, the truth comes out in the wash. You know, to me, Joe and since relationship seems like a typical narcissist, codependent relationship. It's the kind of situation, uh, relationship, where lust happens pretty quickly, things move quickly, uh, extra quickly, you know, a baby comes out of the situation, and then boom, the mask is dropped. And that's when you get to see the real person and the real monster that you have a baby with. So the world of social media and living a life on camera, is it's a job, it's an occupation, but you can only put up a front for so long before the lie starts to crumble. You know, social media is attention sinking. You know, it's it's, it's attention sinking. It's smoke and mirrors. It's a lot of front end. It's a lot of allowing others to see what you want them to see. But what it won't do is sustain the lie. It'll hide the lie for a little bit, but it won't sustain it. You know, eventually the truth of who and what you are will come out in the wash, uh, especially if you're living a public life. So let me start by saying that I bet you a million dollars, no, a trillion dollars, that Sin Santana will never ever in life open her ignorant mouth to elevate her otherness to make herself seem like a prize over black women. Sin Santana and her ego got humbled because her baby daddy, Joe Budden, he don't see her as a prize. He sees her as an object. And when you're an object, you can be replaced. When you're an object, men will get bored with you and throw you away. It's like a child who gets tired of playing with a toy. You know, they're only interested in that toy when someone else wants it. They only cock the toy because it made them the most popular kid on the block. And that's how objectification works. Because your looks can get you through the door. You know, and obviously Sin is a very attractive young woman, but your looks will not uh, keep a person from cheating on you, keep a man from cheating on you, keep a man from mistreating you. Your looks don't influence his character or how that man uh, is going to treat you in the long run. And from the looks of Joe Budden's romantic history, he is definitely giving me strong narc tease. He seems aloof and emotionally shallow. And although highly intelligent, I think he's intelligent, he lacks empathy and compassion and seems very clinical when it comes to emotional expression. And he's a dismissive person. He's a dismissive abuser. Uh, abuser. He, uh, look at the way he 
this man responded to Sin's postpartum depression. This is a man who lacks the ability to <laughs> care in a meaningful way. Now, as for Sin Santana and the I'm better than black women <laughs> mindset that she represents, she needs to drink a tall glass of STFU and be humble because there are so many women out there like her who feel elevated in their skin tone and their otherness until they get that wake-up call that their otherness has no influence on a man's heart and his character. Because a man's character is the heart of who a man is. Not his money, his character. And your Spanishness, your Latinaness, or your Dominican snatch ain't changing none of that. The truth is, he still wanna lie, he still wanna cheat, he still wanna manipulate, he still wanna objectify you and reduce you to the arm candy that he thinks you are. And he's still going to put himself and his needs first. And there's nothing about being Dominican, Puerto Rican, mixed race, light skin, or red bone that will stop you from getting run over on the railroad tracks of his character flaws and dysfunction. What these he prefer me types don't understand is that lust and being a desired object will not hold or keep a man's interest. White woman sex, Asian sex, sex with a Latino woman does not come with or magic. You know, your look, that look, her look is about status and how it makes him look. That's it. You know, her looks don't stop him from objectifying her. Her looks don't stop him from looking elsewhere or scratching that itch elsewhere. You know, even when I tell women to level up, it also comes with the understanding that your looks are going to get you in the door. Leveling up will get your looks in the door, but it will not stop a man from mistreating you, you know. But that's why you're going to subscribe to this channel so you can learn how to keep and hold a man's attention. How to understand how men moves and what inspires them. Uh, what keeps a man's interest, ladies, is how you value yourself. Your confidence, your mystery, your seductive power, your sex appeal, your ability to walk away. And putting yourself first. Not your body shape. Not what society tells you. Society tells you this is your body shape, uh, your ass-to-waist ratio, your assembly line, Dr. Miami factory-made body. Uh, but nothing can be further from the truth. You know, that's why <laughs> gassed women who sign up, you know, for the Kodak Blacks, the Kanye West, the YGs, the Little Waynes, uh, the Offsets, and the Joe Buttons of the world always end up getting burned. You know, just look at Kim Kardashian and that mentally ill nut that she's married to. Know, she has to worry about her kids being mentally ill. Honestly, you know, her plastic booty didn't stop him from losing all of his marbles. You know, <laughs> or Khloe Kardashian. Her fake body ain't hold Tristan's attention at all. You know, maybe for five minutes. Or look at Reggie Bush what? and his outside baby. You know, your looks will get you in the door. But they don't run the show. So if you're a dime piece to a man that's, you know, that also means you're a dime a dozen. You know, these women may get elevated and pedestaled, but that elevation comes with a steep drop and a whole lot of other issues that pedestaled women could never uh, anticipate in a million years. A lot of men, all of these successful men, quiet as kept, you know, um, they're broken. They're, they're insecure. A lot of uh, men are dysfunctional beyond repair. Uh, a lot of men have a lot of going up to do. You know, they have immaturity issues. They're not ready to settle down. You know, 
Um, most times when men are ready to settle down is when they can really see, uh, they see that they're not immortal. They see that they're, you know, that, that their life has an ending. That's when men tend to uh, mature, when they see that they're not invincible. You know, that's when men tend to mature. But when they're young and they're rich, you know, they have a lot of options when it comes to attractive women. You know, look at the Aisha Curry situation. You know, a lot of women throw themselves at successful men. Hell, marry men. And men are, for the most part, controlled by their egos. And the ego lives off of flattery and being gassed. So the money and the fame only make them more of what they already are. So this is why I tell women to put themselves first. Put your knees first. Hypergamy first. Don't get gassed because some dude with some clout chose you over women who you deem less than because you just might get all the smoke, all that you signed up for. Uh, in the beginning, you might feel special. You might feel flattered because you see a pattern with black men who have money and success, but trust. Don't get gassed because with all the resources, all the fame, all the attention, also comes the smoke of dealing with all of who that person really is. You know, so that's all I have to say on that. Sid is a bird. She has a lot of growing up to do. And if Joe is the narcissist that I think that he is, Sid will also have a lot of healing to do. So let me know in the comment section what y'all think of women who get gassed on their looks and think that their looks will elevate and carry them in a relationship. And don't forget to like, share, and subscribe to join the, to join the tribe. And I will see you in the next one. channel and if you are new here welcome so today's video is about fragile masculinity and why it is so important for women particularly hypergamous women to understand how delicate a man's ego is and how to use that for your benefit especially when it comes to romantic relationships and the expectations that come with being coupled up because a lot of women are either confused or are completely lost about how men are wired. And a lot of women simply aren't aware of how fragile uh, men's egos are when it comes to women. Now, for educational purposes, an ego or the ego is the measurement of a person's self-esteem or self-importance. And that measurement can either be high or low or in between. And that measurement can also be balanced or the ego can be You're very not toxic. Gonna listen. And both men and women can have very toxic egos. He don't be listening. Women, uh, don't understand how a man's ego operates when it comes to attraction. Uh, attraction is about more than looks, ladies. And women tend to not understand that attraction has layers. Yes, men are very visual, but attraction is more than skin deep. But as women, it is our duty to understand that getting the man that we want is, in the car? is about more than looking the part. And as women, we have to understand that sustained oh, attraction, right? keeping him interested, uh, uh, goes way deeper than a woman's looks 
or physical appearance, which is why you need to subscribe to this channel. Uh, looks are very important to a man's ego because a woman's looks uh, reflects a man's stature and his ability to impress other men. But attraction and desire and keeping a man attracted to you and getting a man to spend that bag on you and getting a man to invest in you and getting a man to, uh, to provide for you is about executing a seduction and femininity and mystery and intrigue. And that is why uh, when a woman carves herself up like a Halloween pumpkin and gets the fillers, and gets the BBL, and gets the rhinoplasty, and the Brazilian butt lift, and gets the tummy tuck, and flies herself out to the Dominican Republic, right, or Brazil, for a mommy makeover without seduction and femininity, a woman's attempt at standing out, right, her attempt at standing out and standing apart from the rest of the herd will only be a temporary fix. But seduction and femininity and intrigue are skills, right, lifelong skills uh, that improve your feminine allure and your feminine confidence, and they are forever skills that all women should learn, especially if they are interested in sustaining romantic relationships with masculine men who are providers. And this is especially the case if you are a woman who is interested in resting comfortably in your femininity and staying away from men who are comfortable with offering role reversal. Now, the reason why men have such fragile egos is because men are wired to be dominant over women and women are wired uh, to respect strength. This is why men have testosterone. Uh, testosterone is about dominance and power and strength. And this is why men have muscles and why men for the most part are physically stronger than us because men are wired to lead. And men are wired, ladies, to want to be admired. And this admiration feeds into their egos. And the more a man's ego is fed, the more that man will feel like a whole man, right? Like a whole person. Uh, ladies, men are not wired uh, to want second place or to lead behind a woman uh, or even beside a woman, right? By nature, uh, men are not babysitters or house husbands unless they are fully committed to role reversal. However, uh, masculine men are wired to, des to desire respect and admiration above everything. And when men aren't respected by women, they feel invisible, they feel insignificant and diminished. And when a man feels uh, diminished, he feels powerful. And when a man, uh, he feels powerless. And when a man feels powerless, that man will feel defeated and depressed. And when a man is defeated and depressed, that is a, re uh, a recipe for a man's demise, right? That is when a man starts to fall apart from the scenes. And that is the domino effect of having, of how, uh, fragile masculinity works and this is why so many trolls and uh, 50 50 dusties come to my channel uh, with their nasty hateful comments because they are defeated and depressed men whom no one respects so they try to feel powerful by bullying others in the comment section and these low rank and file men are so hungry and so thirsty for any kind of attention and validation uh, to fuel their struggling uh, fragile egos uh, these weak men are so powerless within themselves that they live to blame and project uh, their negative thoughts on women as a source of relief and release and entertainment. Now, uh, the reason why men cannot handle a woman who makes significantly much more than him is because in capitalism and around the world, uh, men are defined uh, by their leadership and the amount of money that they make and their ability to provide for a family. So when a man 
cannot provide for his family. He is considered a weak person and a weak leader and a man who is considered weak will be insecure and pretty much worthless. And when a woman <laughs> is the breadwinner or the provider, it will trigger a man's insecurity and make a man feel diminished and he will feel uh, devalued. And once again, the domino effect will take hold and as a result, there will be absolutely no reason for that woman to naturally respect that man who makes less than her. Or there will be no reason to respect a man who doesn't have the power uh, to give you something that you can already get yourself right that you can already get for yourself and ladies if a man cannot flatter you or impress you uh attraction attraction and desire for each other will die because men need to feel needed and men are at their best when they are needed and they are at their worst when they are in role reversal mode so if you have billions in the bank he cannot impress you and never marry a man who cannot impress you and a rookie mistake that both men and women make is believing that sex can sustain a relationship. But a man who can blow your back out would only, he will only temporarily feel powerful in the bedroom. But eventually that power will wear itself thin and eventually the BBC will lose its holding power because sex does not sustain attraction or a man's fragile ego outside of the bedroom. And what happens outside of the bedroom influences what happens inside the bedroom. And another rookie mistake that women make is leading with their accomplishments and trying to impress and flatter men when that is a man's job. It is a man's job to impress you not the other way around. And women do this all the time without realizing how much of a turnoff that is to masculine men and how much a of a turn on that is to dusty men because only dusty men care about your salary and the car that you drive because dusty men are always willing to plot and plan and scheme on a woman's take-home pay. But in the long run, uh, respect is the most powerful uh, engine that keeps a relationship going and respect and his ability uh, his ability his ability to impress you a natural body type is what sustains a man's attraction and his ability to feel like a king or a hero in your presence because the minute a man starts to feel like a woman in the relationship he will look for ways to recuperate his manhood and it won't be pleasant so that's all i have to say on this for now as for travis and kylie they're young they got together and they made a baby but there was no way that kylie could ever keep travis from cheating or having a side chick or 10 because aside from being a very new to money been getting attention from beautiful women that Travis wouldn't otherwise get if he were pedestrian or regular degular and him being only 28 years old and thriving successfully in hip-hop he is absolutely too young to settle and when it comes to Kylie Jenner all we hear about is about her infamous family and her lip kits and her billions and most men and their fragile egos would never be able to stomach of being in the background or living in the glare of the Kardashian vortex. And there is no way in hell that Travis Scott is trying to be Mr. Uh, Kylie Jenner or her emasculated sidekick. Uh, not now and not ever. So stay tuned for more videos to come and I will catch up with you in the next one.
this market a little bit more, show South Philly a little bit more love. It's definitely lit. So you just dropped the album, Shakur. Congratulations on that. You know, how are people responding to the album? The streets is going definitely stupid. They just, the comments and the feedback I've been getting off of it is just that it's versatility and it just show a little bit more growth from the other stuff I put out. Yeah. What songs are people like, what are people gravitating towards? Um, I would say Crank, that's number one. Uh, number 11, doing it. That's the outro in Philly for you. That's number 10. A lot of people fucking with Philly for you. I was going to say, one of my favorites is Philly for you. You know, you describe a lot of Phillyism. You know, like obviously when you live in Philly and you're in Philly, you know what Philly people are about and what happens. What made you actually want to make a song about it? Hello? Yeah, come through.
I already got him on there. So, for real, I really don't even like a lot of features. I feel like I can hold my own weight. So, I just want to, but if it's Philly and we speak in Philly, I definitely want to make sure some of those people are a part of it. Put it on record to put her experience 
with Scotty Pippen on record. And for my listeners, this is what I call a desperation need to not be forgotten. Instead of Chevette holding her 25-year L, Chevette is baiting Scotty Pippen and applying the pressure and trying to embarrass him to get some Me Too hush money and side piece reparations. Now, this is what I uh, what happens when a woman allows a man to con her out of her money and her worth. And this is what happens when a woman holds on to old grudges, a hurt ego, and becomes bitter about being forgotten, about being used by a man for SEX and a man who threw her away. This is why hypergamy is so important for women to understand so that women can know that they are the prize, so that women can know that they are not a blank check. Uh, when a woman doesn't understand that she's a prize, she will be conned and strung along, uh, conned out of her drawers and her coins, and put on the suckers list and then tossed without a second thought. Because a man will take whatever you give him for free. He will take the cheap thrills or the free thrills. Whatever he can take, he will take it. Uh, whatever he can get, he will take it. And then shrug his shoulders because so many men depend on women to be gullible and naive. And the one thing a man will never feel guilty about is conning you out of your drawers. Because when it comes to getting you on the cheap, Men can be just as savage and ruthless as they want to be because a man is always going to test your boundaries. And a man is always going to do, is always going to do a self-esteem check to see how much you, uh, he really can get over on you. So ladies, the number one way to know that a guy is using you is when he allows you to foot the bill. So never give a man money because most women who give men money never see it again. And giving a man money is a surefire signal to a man that you have low standards and that you are leading with your desperation. So that's all I have to say on this for now. Chevette, um, just, you know, she just wants her side piece reparations, but this lawsuit is stage five clinging. Miss 25 years later, Chevette Valentine is just fishing for some clout and for Scotty Pippen to remember the time. And we all know that these side chicks and mistresses are tired of lurking in the shadows. Uh, clearly, Chevette just wants someone to stick a camera or a microphone or get on Vlad TV, right, uh, for some clout so that she can talk about the good old days. Uh, ladies, know your worth, and as a standard, never pay your own way in the presence of a man that you are sleeping with because all he's going to do is get the funds, bounce on you, and give his resources and his finances to a woman who put herself first. So let me know what your thoughts are on this video and I will catch up with you.